Once again, thank you for being here this morning. If you are one of the people that are usually here in the sanctuary with us on Wednesday nights, you know that on Wednesday nights, Brother Blake and I alternate preaching. On the Wednesday nights that I preach, we are taking a journey through the book of John. And so this past Wednesday night would have been the the Wednesday that I was going to preach. And so earlier in the week on Monday, I began looking at just this next section of text that's in our John study, John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. And it just felt like it was for Sunday morning. But on Tuesday, Tuesday came, and I knew I was going to be preaching on Sunday too, so I was proceeding to work on a sermon in the Galatian sermon series, which I normally am preaching through on Sunday mornings, on the Sundays that I preached. But every time that I would pick up the John sermon, I just continued to feel like that it was for this morning, for this day. And so then Wednesday got here, and so we made the decision to cancel Wednesday night services because a number of our Wednesday night workers and or their families were dealing with COVID. And so once we made that decision, I just felt like the Lord gave me just complete clearance to preach this sermon for this day. The the title of this morning's message, as you'll see on the screen right now, is simply, Are You hungry? Are you hungry? Now, if you are one of the people that are usually with us on our Wednesday night services here in the sanctuary, you know, on those Wednesday nights that I preach, I always remind you that we are taking a step into the scripture. And then I usually ask a follow-up question after that is this, are you with me on that journey? And, you know, I've said many times before that we can truly feel like that we are taking a step into the Scripture because the Bible is God's holy word inspired from the beginning to the end. It contains absolutely no errors. So we can feel like that we are truly stepping into the Scriptures. So let's go on our journey this morning. So I want to ask you the same question this morning that I often ask on Wednesday night as we get ready to step into the Scriptures. Are you with me on this journey? This means yes. This means no. So are you with me on this journey this morning? Good. I see a few people that are. Now, usually... Always, actually, in the John Sermon Series on Wednesday night, I start, by, in each session, I start by reminding us what John's purpose in writing this book was. In fact, if you're following along in your Bible right now, it's, there's a high probability that if you go over to John 20, verses 30 and 31, it may even say in your Bible the purpose of this book. It says that exact thing in my Bible. But I want you to hear why John wrote this book. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the reason that John wrote this book. Now, again, we're in chapter 6 this morning, and we're going to be beginning with verse 1. And we are going to see this morning 
that Jesus feeds the multitude. Jesus feeds the multitude. And I wonder, have you ever realized that this account of Jesus feeding the multitude, get this, it is the only miracle of Jesus that is documented in each of the four Gospels. Of all the miracles that Jesus performed during his earthly ministry, this is the only one that's documented in all four of the gospel. So we should take from that that this is important. We should be paying attention to that. But we're going to see him feed the 5,000 people plus women plus children. We're going to see that that truly was a miracle. And then later on in the chapter, we won't get to that this morning. But we're going to see in a, in a later Wednesday night message, you'll have to come from, for that, hopefully, that Jesus is going to preach a sermon, and he is going to be talking about the bread of life. And then this chapter ends in sort of a shocking way. And I'm going to do something right now that I typically never do as I'm preaching. I'm going to take you to near the end of this book. I want you to hear and understand this verse that's on the screen this morning. John six sixty six. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Can you sense the seriousness of that this morning? After this, many of his disciples turned back and they no longer walked with him. I hope you can feel the seriousness of that this morning. I want you to be sure that you understand these are people who have been walking with Jesus. But they hear him give a challenging message and many of them turn back and they no longer follow him. Church, we've got to realize that their journey is not an easy one. It's a difficult one. On most days, our journey is a difficult one. And honestly, I think the older I get, the more I see this. If you've been in church for any length of time, I bet you can think of at least one person that meets this description. As long as everything is exciting, as long as great things appear to be happening with our eyes, as long as our eyes can see that great things are happening, they're 1,000% in. 1,000% in. But then something happens. And often it happens slowly. Happens really gradually. But something else enters that person's life. And it slowly starts to occupy the space that Jesus and his church is supposed to be in. And it usually happens during a period of time where our eyes don't see the excitement. That's when it usually happens. When I look back over my lifetime, the people that I can think of that meet that category 
Most of the time when it happens, it's during a period of time in a church where our eyes don't physically see that exciting things have happened. And then slowly they start to drift away. Slowly, slowly. And then before long, something else has occupied that place, that spot that Jesus and his church are supposed to occupy in our lives. I bring that up this morning. While John 6.66 is on the screen, hear the magnitude of this. These people had physically walked with Jesus, yet they've decided no more. No more. Don't let that be you. Do not let that be you and don't think it'll never happen to me. Most people that it happens to, they don't think it either. We've got to realize that our journey is a battle. It is a battle. And I want to ask you this morning, do you have your spiritual armor on? I would encourage you to put it on. Never take it off because, you know, it is so easy to call Jesus Lord when everything's going our way. It is so easy to say, Jesus is Lord, I will follow him no matter what, as long as everything's going our way, as long as exciting things are happening. Remember Peter? Remember what he said? Lord, I'll I'll never deny you. Even if everybody else denies you, I will never do it. What did he do? He denied Jesus. So don't think it can't be you. Keep your spiritual armor on. Now, that's all I'm going to say about that at this given time. I want to tell you, as we proceed to get in our scripture this morning, throughout this particular chapter in general, really throughout the book of John, there are three words that keep appearing. Water, food, and bread. Most of the time, when you see these three words appear in the book of John, they are being used as metaphors. And they're being used to point to Jesus. Let's just give you a quick example. Many of you are familiar with the account of the Samaritan woman coming to the well to get water. So she gets there and who's there? Jesus. He is there. She encounters him. What's he offer her? Living water. That's one of our three words that's on the screen right now. What he was really offering her was him. And she took it. She took it. And what happened? Her life was transformed. It was no trouble to tell it. It was no trouble that she had had an encounter with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords because her life was different after that. And I want to tell you this morning, if we've had an encounter with Jesus, our lives will also be different. So again, keep in mind that when we see any of these three words this morning in This particular sermon, water, food, and bread, they're being used to point to Jesus. This morning, we're going to see that faith is expectant obedience. And then we're going to see that when Jesus is in charge of a situation, nothing else matters. We're going to be talking about him feeding the multitude here in just a few minutes. And he does it, as you all know, with very, very little. Jesus was in charge of that situation. What looked impossible to everybody else was not impossible to him. It was not impossible to him. We will see this morning that when Jesus is in charge of a situation, nothing else really matters. So let's look at these first four verses. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. 
and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of of the Jews, was at hand. So just to set the scene here, Jesus had crossed over to the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee at a time when the Jewish Passover was near. The Jewish Passover, especially at that time, it was a big event in the life of a Jewish person. Now, I want to be sure that you call in verse 2 that a large crowd was following Jesus. A large crowd was following Jesus. And then the rest of that verse tells us why. Because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Remember, a minute ago, a few minutes ago, when I took you to verse 66 of this chapter, we saw that these are the same people. These are the same people, some of them that turn back on him. But right now they're following, and why are they following? Because exciting things are happening. Exciting things are happening. Their eyes were able to see the signs that he was doing on the sick. Remember when exciting things are happening, it's easy for many people to follow. And that's exactly what's happening here. Jesus is healing people. And it's exciting to see that. And then we see in verse 3 that Jesus went up on the mountain. And, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now we've got to keep in mind that, that Jesus had been doing more miracles than the three that have been documented so far in the book of John. People had heard about him. They wanted to follow him. Maybe they were intrigued. Maybe they just wanted to see what he was doing. But this huge crowd is following him. And in verse 5 says, Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we going to buy bread so that these people can eat? Again, a large crowd is following. I want to take you quickly to Mark chapter 6, verses 34 and 35, because I think Mark's account gives us really a better picture of what Jesus did in this situation. He took time with these people. And he taught them late in the day, Mark 6, 34 and 35, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And look at verse 35. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. And the hour is now late. So again, Jesus realizes that these people are hungry. These people are hungry. And remember, the title of this morning's sermon is, Are You Hungry? Are You Hungry? Jesus realized that these people are hungry. It is late in the day. And what we see happening here is that we are moving from a picture of people being in need to a picture of the disciples being confused. 
Imagine what it must have been like for Philip to be singled out by Jesus. Have you ever been sitting in a classroom and and you're the lucky one that gets singled out by the teacher? That happened to me a couple of weeks ago when I was in school. I made the mistake of sitting at the front of the classroom. And as a result of that, Todd, what do you think about this? Todd, what do you think about this? And I was like, oh, great. (laughs) Okay, can I change seats right now? But you, you know the feeling when you're sitting in a classroom and the teacher asks a question and you're like, Dear Lord, please, please do not let them call on me. Please, please, if you just won't let me, just don't let them call on me this time. Next time I will be prepared. And then next time comes and we're usually not prepared then either, if we're being honest about it. But Philip gets singled out here. Philip gets singled out here. Have you ever wondered why? Well, perhaps it was because Philip was from the town of Bethsaida. And that is likely the closest town to where they are physically located right now. So let's just think of it this way. Philip would have known if there was a local Dollar General store there. And if there was, he would have known if they were open or not. That's maybe why Philip got the question. But I want you to notice what happens here. After Jesus asked Philip this question, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? I want to be sure that we don't miss verse 6. He being Jesus said them to said this to what? To test him. And then what else does it say? For he himself, talking about Jesus, knew what he would do. Folks, I'm going to remind you, whatever your situation is, don't think that Jesus doesn't know it. Don't think that he doesn't know it. In this situation, he already knew what he was going to do. Now, I want want us to look at verse 7. What's happening here is that instead of really answering the question, Philip is telling Jesus how expensive it's going to be. Really, that's what is happening. Philip is telling Jesus, do you realize how big this problem is? We've got a massive situation on our hands. Jesus, don't you realize that 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get just a little? Let that sink in for just a minute. Philip is reminding Jesus of how big the problem is. And remember, the preceding verse that Jesus already knows what he's going to do. But remember, faith is expectant obedience. How's our faith this morning? If, if, if there was like a monitor on us that showed our level of faith, sort of like your gas gauge does in your car, would it be full? Would your faith be full? Would it be empty? So, we see here, Philip says 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for everybody to get just a little. Now, if you were here a few weeks ago, you heard Brother Brother Blake preach in a Sunday morning service. He told us that a denarius 
was typically one day's wages. So just to do a simple math problem here, Philip is saying, Jesus, one person would have to work for 200 days and then that wouldn't really completely feed everybody. They would just get a little bit. And then let's look what happens. Andrew chimes in and he says, well, there's a boy here who's got five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? What are they for so many? Do we ever do that same thing? Well, Jesus, I've got this, but what good could that possibly do? Don't you know how big my situation is? Don't you know how big my problem is? So Andrew's saying, well, I I I see this boy that's got five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? I'm going to tell you what they were on that day. They were an absolute feast. I wonder this morning, are you hungry? Are you hungry? Those people were. Are you hungry? Before we move on to the next section of verses, I want to be sure that we don't miss the fact that Jesus is always sufficient. He was sufficient in this particular situation, and He is sufficient for whatever you're going through. For everything you've been through and everything you will go through, Jesus is sufficient, and He knows. Don't ever think, does anybody know? Does anybody understand? Yes, there's always at least one person who completely knows and who completely understands. His name is Jesus. I wonder this morning, do you know him today? Do you know him today? We're going to see again that Jesus feeds the multitude. And I believe that one reason that Jesus does this now at this particular period of time, is to lay a foundation for the sermon that he's going to preach during the duration of chapter 6 about the bread of life. Remember, that's one of our words. Bread's pointing to who? Jesus. When Jesus preaches about the bread of life, it's him. It is him. He is the bread of life. As we move to verses 10 3.13, I want to remind you that every word of Scripture is important. There is not one word of Scripture that's there just because. It is there for a particular reason. So we see here at, in verse 10, Jesus said, have the people to sit down. And you know, this is not a, a ridiculous request because most of the time we sit down when we eat, don't we? We do. We sit down when we eat. And then he says, the scripture says, now there was much grass in the place. So I wonder why would that be important? Why why would it be important that we know that there was a lot of grass in the place? Well, here's what I believe the reason is. Jesus prepared the place. He was preparing a place at the table, so to speak. Have you ever stopped to think what a huge area it would have taken to have seated 5,000 men? and women, and children. Just to give you a means of comparison, this sanctuary that we're in right now at top capacity will seat somewhere around 300 people. 300. We're talking about 5,000 men plus women and children. So think about what a space that would have taken. 
this place that Jesus provided, it had grass. It, they didn't have to sit down in the dirt. They didn't have to sit down in thorns. They didn't have to sit down in a place that was uncomfortable. Jesus prepared the place at the table. And, you know, it is important when we, do, when we think about that to realize that there is indeed a table. And, you know, when... I think of Jesus preparing the table. It's special to me. And part of it maybe is because of my age. But I'm going to tell you something. If I invite you to my home for a meal, first of all, we're going to prepare food. And there will be plenty of food for you to eat two or three times if I know you're coming. There will be an abundance of food. It's one of those situations, if I know you're coming, if I'm preparing for you, if you leave hungry, it's, it's your fault. It's your fault. But over and above that, in addition to preparing food, the tables are prepared. If I know you're coming to be a guest in my home, there is a place at the table that has been prepared just for you. Just for you. Do you realize that Jesus has done the same thing? He has prepared a table. And when I think about the fact that I've got a seat at it, it excites me. Does it you? Do you have a seat at that table? I wonder, are you hungry? Are you hungry? Let's look at number 11. Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks... He distributed them to those who were seated. We can't skip over the phrase that I've circled. And when he had given thanks. Folks, what we're talking about, and when he had given thanks, we are talking about a simple mealtime blessing. Jesus did it. Why do so many people find it difficult to give thanks for our food in our own homes? Why, why do we find that difficult? Why does it appear to be even more difficult if we're in a restaurant? And you know, I'm going to tell you, I have heard virtually every excuse imaginable for that. Everything from, well, I bought that food. I paid for it. I work hard to be able to do that. Well, who's your source? Who gave you that job? Who gave you that money? And if you think it's anything other than God, you're mistaken. He is our provider. So why is it such a difficult task for so many people to bless their food? And if we're going to try to use the excuse, well, I worked for that. I, I paid for that. I bought it. When we're thinking about these five loaves and the two fish, wouldn't we all agree to say that Jesus made those things. Jesus made the ingredients that were in those five loaves of bread. He made those two fish. Yet he gave thanks for them. We should too. So look, look here what happened. So also the fish. The bread was distributed. So also the fish as much as they wanted. Now, isn't this amazing? 
what Jesus did with five loaves and two fish that had been deemed as not sufficient by the disciples. It was completely sufficient in the hands of Jesus. Verse 12. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. Now, don't you find it interesting that he's asked the disciples to gather this up? I do. I think, it's, I think Jesus is making a point with the disciples. They didn't think it was sufficient. So this is even more proof. If they gather up what's left over, they knew the food they had to start with. They gathered up 12 baskets, the Scripture says, of fragments that were left over. And I don't know I don't know how your mind works, but I'm going to tell you this is the way my mind works. Why 12? Why not 11? Why not 13? Wouldn't we all say if there had been one basket left over, it was a huge miracle to feed over 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes. It was a miracle. Nobody can deny that. Again, this is the only miracle performed by Jesus that's documented in each of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Nobody can deny this is a miracle. But wouldn't it have still been a miracle if just one basket had been left over? Absolutely. It would have been a miracle. Now, I think maybe the reason that there were 12 baskets left over, how how many original disciples were there? 12. How many tribes in Israel? 12. Maybe. It's to represent one of those things. I don't know why specifically 12, but let me tell you something. Jesus knows why there were 12. And it was for a reason. It was for a specific reason that there were 12 baskets left over. I wonder this morning, are you hungry? And then finally, verses 14 and 15 in our text, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is come to the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And that's where our text is going to end this morning. If you want to know the rest of the story on this, you're going to have to come on a Wednesday night, and we will be getting to that soon. But I want to ask you again this morning, are are you hungry? Are you hungry? I wonder this morning, have you been to his table? Have you been fed directly by him? Perhaps there's somebody here this morning that's thinking, I've never done that. I have never asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Perhaps somebody's watching the live stream this morning and you're wondering the same thing. I I haven't done that. How can I do it? And as many of you have heard me say before, I feel like each time that I preach, I'm supposed to tell you how you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And folks, we've made it way too hard. In general, we've made it way too hard. We've we've tried to make it too hard. But it's as easy that a child can understand it. Many times children can understand it easier than adults. And it's as simple as as I've said many times before, as we teach children in vacation Bible school. In order 
for Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, first of all, you've got to admit that you're a sinner. That there are things in your heart that's called sin. Things in your life that's called sin that has separated you from God. And then we've got to believe that Jesus is God's Son. That He did everything that the Bible says that He did. Including feeding these 5,000 plus people in the text that we have examined today. We've got to believe that He did every bit of that. We've got to believe that He loved us so much that He went to the cross. As a sinless person, His life contained absolutely no sin. He loved us so much that He went to the cross and He died for us. For our sins. We've got to believe that He was taken down from that cross. He was buried. And that three days later, he arose from the grave. We've got to believe that. And then the C stands for confess. And often we say that the C stands for confess and repent. Because just confessing, that process involves a turning from your life of sin. You cannot continue to, as as my grandparents would say, waller in sin like a pig would. You you can't do that. If you're comfortable doing that, you've got a problem. And I'll say that as lovingly as I possibly can. If you are comfortable engaging in habitual sin, there is a problem if you think that you are a Christian. But that's how that's how you give your life to Jesus. That's how you ask him to be your Lord and your Savior. So I want to ask you one more time this morning, are you hungry? Have you been to that table? Have you been fed by Him? And I want to tell you just as lovingly as I can this morning, folks, Jesus is probably not going to force feed us. You know how sometimes when you have a child and they don't want to eat their vegetables and they're in their high chair and you've got them restrained, You can pretty much force them to eat. Jesus is probably not going to force feed us. I wonder this morning, have you been to that table? Have you been fed? Maybe you're here this morning or that you're hearing this sermon on the live stream and you realize I'm one of those people that may be getting dangerously close to turning my back and no no longer following Jesus. Maybe you've realized this morning that there are things that have occupied or started to occupy the place in your life that Jesus and the church is supposed to be. If that's you this morning, I want to know Jesus will forgive you. But it's going to require you asking Him to. I wonder this morning, do you have a place at the table? Are you hungry? If the answer to that question, I'm hungry and I want Jesus. Or if the answer to the question is there's other things that have started to creep into my life. I want to repent for that. Come and do business with Jesus. I'll be glad to pray with you. I will be here to pray with you. But I want to make it clear that that's between you and the Lord. I, I invite you this morning to come. Give your burdens to Jesus. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for bringing us into this place today. Father, I thank you just for the ability to have a Bible and to read in it 
about all the things that you did. Father, I thank you just for the ability to to be able to read and know that you fed these 5,000 plus people. And Father, we know that not one of those people left hungry because you were more than sufficient. And Father, I pray that no matter what we're going through this morning in our personal lives, Lord, I pray that we will always know that you are more than sufficient to deal with anything that we will face. And Father, I pray that that we will act like it. Father, I pray that we will never be guilty of acting like our problems are a shock to you or that they are too big for you. Father, allow our minds to always understand that you are not only sufficient, you're, you're more than sufficient. Father, I pray that this day will be marked by surrender in this place to you. Father, I pray that we will see you do great and mighty things, and I pray that you will be glorified. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.